Thanks, Dave. Pray with me, please. Uh, God, we are gathered here today to hear from you. We've got uh, needs in life. We're in different circumstances. We're facing different situations. And uh, the one thing that unites us is that we believe that you have the words of eternal life. And so, God, uh, teach us, speak to us, and lead us uh, so that we might know you better and live life to the full. We pray this in Christ. Amen. Uh, this question we're asking today in the last weekend of our I Wonder series is, is this question, how can I know what God wants me to do? How can I know what God wants me to do? You've asked that question, I'm sure. You've been at a, a decision point, a crisis point in your life where you've had to ask that and you thought, I, I'm not sure, what is it that God wants me to do? I, I know what I want to do, I know what other people are telling me to do, but there's got to be another, another voice here. What is it that God wants me to do? And today I want to answer this question by saying, God wants you to do whatever will make you whole. See, what does God want for your life? He wants wholeness. I'll tell you what I mean. I want you to to picture uh, a, a room in an ancient place. A room above a house, not a really large room, but a room that's packed full of a bunch of men. And the door is locked because all the people gathered in that room are terrified. You might, you might know this story already. I've given some of it away. Uh, it's the story of Jesus' followers after his death. They were huddled in a room in Jerusalem and they were hiding out because they were afraid. They were afraid of the people who had taken their master, their teacher, their Lord, the one whom they believed was the Christ, and, and, and arrested him and beat him and executed him. They were afraid of those people. But that's not all they were afraid of. They were also afraid because they had just received reports that Jesus, their master, who had been crucified, the one that they had abandoned, was coming back, had come back from the dead. That he was alive again. And so they were hiding because they were afraid of him because what would he do to them? What would he have to say after they had abandoned him in his hour of need? And so there they are in this room, not sure what to do, wringing their hands with the door locked, terrified. And then Jesus appears to them right in the middle of the room. He's, He's there. He's standing there in the flesh. And for those of you who know this narrative in the Bible, maybe you remember the first word that he speaks to them the first word, do you remember? Some of you are saying it. Be bold. One bold person over in the choir. Thank you. Uh, peace. Peace was the word that he spoke. And he speaks it in John's gospel over and over and over again. Now, 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 think about this for a second. Why would that be the first word that Jesus would speak after everything that these guys had been through? Why would, why would he start there with peace? Well, maybe it's because they're so afraid and he was trying to calm them down. They were anxious and he was trying to give them relief. No. See, in fact, what Jesus was saying was something more than peace. It was more than be quiet, be still, don't be afraid. What Jesus was saying in that word that we translate peace is really this Hebrew word shalom, which means so much more than peace or an absence of fear or an absence of anxiety or conflict. What Jesus was saying to them is he was saying, wholeness be yours. Fullness is now yours. 
Now, now why would Jesus lead off with a word like that? After all he had been through, he hadn't seen these guys. I'm sure there were a lot of things he would love to tell them. Why did he start there with this concept of shalom or wholeness? Well, that's because his death, his resurrection, everything he had just been through, that's exactly what it was all for. That's what exa- exactly what it was all about. Helping people find wholeness, first through a relationship with God, and then because that relationship is right, finding wholeness in their lives everywhere else. That applies to them, that applies to us. And so when we ask this question, what does God want me to do? The answer is simple. God wants you to do that which will make you whole, that will take you toward wholeness, not away from it. Now, for some reason over the years, um, as we've talked about this, we've gotten caught up in this concept of, of the will of God, God's will. And uh, we've made this into a really big thing, but I want to tell you what, what God's will or God's plan or God's desire for your life is not. First, it's not as if God has some plan for your life that is so intricately mapped out that you dare not mess it up, otherwise you're going to get the wrath of God. That's not, that's not what God, uh, God's will, that phrase means in the Bible. And it's not that God has already chosen before you're even born the person that you're going to marry or the job that you're going to have or the place that you're going to live. Like God has made all those decisions in advance and now it's up to you to guess what God is thinking, to try to figure it out. It's not even as if when we talk about God's will, it's not even as if that if, that, that if we veer off God's plan, for our life, that we're going to end up in a really bad way, um, that we'll be living in a van down by the river or something, right? Um, that's, that's, not what it, that's not what God's will is all about. See, see, what God does have in mind and what he desires for your life is what I've already said. He desires for you to be whole, to be full to have life to the full, as Jesus says in John 10:10, 10, 10, to have life abundantly. That's why Jesus came, not to micromanage every decision you would ever make, but he came so that you could have the possibility of wholeness again, wholeness that comes first from a life with God. Uh, I want you to look at what Romans 12 says about this. Romans 12, it's kind of our key scripture today. I'll mention some others. You can look there in your Bible if you want. It's, It's really short. I'll read it to you. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Right, in light of everything that God has done, in, in light of the fact that Jesus died and rose to give you wholeness, in light of all of that, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Remember, he's speaking to a group of people who used to worship God by literally sacrificing things, animals, you know, uh, grain, things like that. And, uh, and he's saying, no, 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 now your new sacrifice is, is a living sacrifice of yourself, laying down yourself in worship to God. Verse 2, listen to this. Do not conform, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's will is that which is good, pleasing, or perfect. And Paul says really clearly here that if you want to know what God wants you to do in your life, the first thing that you have to figure out is you have to figure out how to stop following the patterns of the world. See, let me just speak to you frankly about this. 
Before you can even ask this question, what does God want me to do? You've got to realize that up until now, or at least up until some point in your life, it's just natural for us when we're making a decision to make decisions based on what other people want us to do, what will make us popular, what will make us impressive based on what our neighbors are doing or our friends or our peer group, right? We've got to realize that for most of us, we we are tempted to make decisions in life based on, um, you know, what we yell at our teenagers about, about, based on following the crowd, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to be impressive in a worldly way. And as long as you're living your life under that model or pattern, as Paul says here in Romans 12, you will never get to what God wants you to really do. The first thing Paul says that you got to do is you got to stop conforming. Stop being a follower. Stop trying to be like everyone else, going after everything else that they go after, driving the cars that they drive and wearing the clothes that they wear and living in the neighborhoods that they live in and, and golfing at the golf club that they, live in, they golf in and retiring to the places they say are great to retire. Paul says you got to stop that. If you want to do what God wants you to do, stop that because those things will not lead you toward wholeness. They'll only make your life more fragmented. They will make you more desperate and empty and broken. And if you don't believe me, go to Hollywood, drive around, talk to some rich and famous people, if they'll let you into their walled compound, and meet their fifth or sixth husband or wife, and talk to them about how they feel about life. See, if the pattern of the world worked, if it made people whole, Hollywood would be the happiest place on earth and no one would have problems there, but that's not the case, right? So Paul says, if if you want to be serious about this, and this is a gut check for all of you today, uh, if you want to be serious about this, if, if you really are asking this question in your life, what does God want me to do? That means that you've got to be willing to become a, a standout, a nonconformist, a little bit of a rebel, and you've got to be willing to buck the trends of the world around you. Now, we're going to talk a whole lot about this in the next series, Consumed. I'm really excited about this series because I think it will be one of the most freeing series that we have done in a very long time. And so I want to make sure you're back next week. You bring someone, and uh, I'll quit talking about it now. But Paul says that the first thing to do if you want to know what God wants you to do is you stop conforming. And then he says the rest is easy. After you do that, you stop conforming to the pattern of this world, and you allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once you stop conforming, you start turning towards God and you let him change your way of thinking about what life really is about and where wholeness can really be found. And then he says, it's easy. He says, after you do those things, then, just kind of automatic, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you'll be able to figure this stuff out. See, God doesn't care about every little decision that you make in life. Let me rephrase that. God cares about them because he cares about you, but God has no desire to control every little decision you make in life. That's not his way. He could control you if he you, if you wanted to, and he would do that without your permission, but he doesn't want to. That's not his desire. But what he wants is he wants your wholeness, and he wants your freedom And he wants to help you make choices that lead toward wholeness. And so that's why today, before we get to your questions, and again, I hope you're you're getting your phone ready and warmed up, right, uh, for those questions. 
Uh, before we get there, I want to give you a filter of uh, four asks and an action. Four asks and an action that are helpful uh, things to go through when you're trying to make a decision and trying to figure out not just what you want to do or what the world is telling you to do, but what God really wants for you, not from you, but for you. Um, and so the first one is this. T- take a note on this. Um, ask first, is it contrary to God's word? Is it contrary to God's word? Many of our decisions in life won't be. God's word says nothing about them. And yet some of our decisions, they will be. And God's word has something to say about it. So if you're someone here today who's miserable in your marriage and you think that the best thing for you to do would be to run away with someone half your age to a beach climate, I've got to tell you that may sound fun, but God's word says, no, that's not going to make your life whole. It's actually going to lead you to fragmentation, not wholeness. Don't do that. God's word is very clear. If you're someone who's thinking about living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, God's word says the same. It says, no. That's not going to make you whole. It's not going to ultimately be good for this relationship that you're seeking after. It's going to fragment it. Don't do it. But then there are all kinds of other issues in life, right? That, that God's word won't speak to. If, if, if you're debating a job move to Texas, and I was just in Texas, not looking for a job, but I was there and it's a lovely place. Um, if, if that's your thing, you know, God's word doesn't say. So the first question you ask yourself is, does God's word speak definitively and finally on this? And if it does, trust that what God is trying to do when he warns you about something, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Trust that what God is trying to do is he's trying to protect you, that his, his barriers are for protection. Those boundaries, they're always for your good, for your wholeness, and for your protection. Uh, so, so assuming it's not something contrary to God's word, the second thing you do is you ask God for guidance. Um, and, and in this, I don't mean ask God for an answer, a billboard, a sign, you can do that, but, but chances are God's not going to give you one like that. God does not want to micromanage your life. He wants you to walk by faith. He wants you to learn how to make good decisions and not to have to rely on him to tell you everything to do. But at the same time, God does want to be consulted. He sees things that you don't, and he may be able to warn you uh, through some of these other ways I'll talk about it in a second, of, of decisions that are bad decisions that are going to lead you away from wholeness. But as you're asking God for guidance, please don't make the mistake of thinking that God might only have one path for you that's the good path and everything else is cursed. That's not how God works. Uh, n- number three, ask wise people for guidance. See, so ask God first, and then he might help you find wise people. And if they're truly wise, they're listening to God, and they may be the mouthpiece of God in your life to speak words of truth. Ask people who, who are living the kind of life you aspire to live. Uh, not the life that's conformed to the pattern of this world, but a life that is, that is truly whole and, and, and joyous and full, even if they're nothing in the world's eyes. People who've got the kind of life that you want, a life that is filled with the Spirit and its fruit. Find those people, ask them for guidance, and uh, they may be able to spare you a lot of pain, some serious mistakes, especially if you've asked God's guidance before that. Uh, Number four, I I believe this in this firmly. Ask yourself, why do I want to do this really? You know, if you're thinking about a job move or you're thinking about where to put your kids for high school or college, you know know what we do because we're smart? Uh, We come up with the most like politically correct, compelling, um, you know, explanation that we can the one that's going to make people go, okay, I get it. I see, you know, the most noble sounding explanation that we can for why we want this for, for ourselves or for people that we love. 
but you owe it to yourself to ask the question, okay, why do I want to do this really? Because guess what? We are masters of self-deception. And so it may be a high school decision, and you may think, well, it's because, you know, I'm trying to give my kids a godly start, and it may be barely about that. It may be about your status, trying to impress other people, feeling pressure from family. It may be about proving your worth. Same thing with the the neighborhood you want to live in or the cars that you want to drive or any of that other stuff, the person you're thinking about dating. You've got this noble answer worked up that you are willing to peddle to everyone in your life and you know it. And yet sometimes there are deeper motives and drives underneath the surface and you owe it to yourself to pause and ask the question, why am I doing this really? Is there something impure? Is there some sort of, you know, worldly a conformity that is driving me to want to do this. And once you've identified that thing, you'll have a greater uh, likelihood of isolating it. And then, and then last, we've got to get to your questions. Last, um, this is the action. Leap. You know, if, if, if everything's green lights, there are no red lights or yellow lights. Green means what? Green means what? Go. Green means go. Just go. See, see the great tension that we live in is Romans 12 says, if, if we're not wise about this, we could be conformed to the pattern of this world and we will find ourselves fragmented and broken. On the other side, if we worry so much about every decision that we end up paralyzed, that's not God's will for our lives either. God doesn't want you to be paralyzed. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Hear me? The Bible says that. Those aren't my words. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Say that with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so we live in the tension between these two things. And here's what I know about God. That when you've gone through all these steps and you think you're making the best decision that you can and you've sought godly counsel and you've opened up God's word and you've prayed and you've asked God for guidance and you've checked your motives and and you feel like you've got a decision in front of you that's a good decision, make the decision. And even if it's the wrong decision, even if you're kicking yourself a year later, trust God to be good. Because if you gave him the opportunity to stop you from making that decision and he didn't, he might have a plan for your life even in the middle of a bad decision. See, this is where I believe God's power is fully shown to us. It's not in his ability to, to pull all of our strings and make everything happen for a reason. God's power is shown in his ability to let us go our own way, make our own decisions, good ones and bad ones. And yet, when we love him, the Bible says in Romans 8, he's got the power to make all those things work together for good. So whether they're good decisions or bad decisions, he's got the power to steer our lives ultimately so the effect of those decisions work for our blessing, for our formation, and not for our harm. So, so don't be conformed, Romans would say. And I say don't be paralyzed. Leap and trust God to be good. That's my filter. Let's get to your questions. Again, text your questions, 636-686-0140. First question. How do I distinguish uh, the difference between God speaking to me and my own thoughts about what I should do? Uh, great question. And how do I distinguish the difference, uh, right? Because God comes in that still small voice, the Bible says. Uh, he comes in a very small voice to us. And, and, and you know, sometimes you, you get a prompting or something. You're in quiet time and you have a thought and you go, it's a pretty good thought. <laughs> is that God or is that me? Um, here, here's what I can tell you to do. I find it incredibly helpful in my life. 
Uh, this gets to the, to the ask yourself, why am I doing this really um, issue that I put up there a minute ago, is uh, live a self-examined life. And what you will discover, one of the things I'm starting to do more, and sh- probably just for a season, but I'm, I'm starting to journal more often, just because I want to get into the discipline of examining myself better. And so I just journal on what happened yesterday. It's a, it's a you know, well-attested to practice. And uh, I'm just doing it because I, I want to get better at examining myself. And what, what I'm starting to see are certain patterns in my life. I'm starting to learn myself better. I'm starting to learn what that little voice inside of me that is not God's voice, but it's the voice of my sinful flesh sounds like. Uh, and I'll never learn it perfectly because it's tricky. Um, and yet I'm starting to learn what it sounds like and what it wants and what its weaknesses are. And so I'm, I think I'm becoming a little more attuned to knowing the difference between my voice or the voice of my sinful self and God's voice. Uh, so I'd encourage you, you know, to the person who asked this question, I'd encourage you to, uh, to find a way to, to, to be self-examining, find a way to, to discover what your weaknesses are. You know, uh, let, let's just be uh, specific here. If you know you've got a great temptation to be pr- impressive to people, if that's just kind of a desire that's been in you, to, to be someone who's impressive, to be someone who is respected, to be someone that other people look up to, to be someone who is affluent and successful, if you know that that's a big driver inside of you, be careful of anything, be careful of anything that is pushing you toward that. doesn't mean that God's never speaking in that way, but, but just be careful. Learn what those, those sinful temptations or those voices in your life sound like, where your vulnerabilities are or your weaknesses are, and learn to isolate those. Also, um, and then we'll get to the next question. I think two other things. This is why it's important to stay rooted in God's word. Um, th- there have been times in my life where I'm reading through an Old Testament prophet uh, whose names most of us can't pronounce, and it seems totally obscure, and I will read a verse that cuts me to the heart because it's something that I'm dealing with in my life. God just used that word to call me out about some impure motive or some thought in my life that's not right. So stay rooted in God's word and stay rooted in community. Have a group of people in your life who can speak truth into your life. People who you can test the spirits with. And so you say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Um, I'm kind of thinking this. Does this sound like me or does this sound like God? If there are people who know you and who have had access to you throughout life, they know what you sound like. And they may go, you know what? That sounds a whole lot like you, (laughs) not God. So be careful. That's all I'll say on that one. Um, is fleecing God an acceptable way to find out what God wants for you? Or is it just a way of testing him and not really useful for us? Uh, th- this idea of fleecing comes from, from uh, this guy called Gideon in the book of Judges, where he's trying to figure out if God wants him to do something. And so he lays out a fleece, uh, you know, sheep, uh, uh, wool, a fleece, and he lays it out and he tests God two different ways with it to say, hey, if you want me to do this, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. Um, first, if it's the other way, make the fleece wet and the ground dry in the morning. And then the next time he goes, I'm not sure I got you right, God. So this time make the ground wet and the fleece dry, which was much harder to do. And, uh, and he said, finally, okay, God, I think this is a sign. So fleecing is a, a Christianese way of saying, um, you know, is it okay for me to test God and say, give me a sign? I've done this in life. I think it's okay to do. Um, and it, but here's how I do it. It's just my experience. Um, it's usually to the, at the place where I've, I've kind of come to a decision through those other channels. Because I don't think this is always very reliable. I think it's kind of a last step thing. 
Um, and so you've come to a decision and you think you've, you've got what's going to be best, what's going to lead you toward wholeness. And you, you've got that figured out and you've sought counsel and everything else. Uh, and, and then I do this, this gut check and I say, God, this is what I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. And this is what I think is going to be best for me and best for your purposes in my life and best for those around me. And this is what I'm going to do. God, if I'm wrong, I tend to do it generally. God, if I'm wrong, put, put something in my way because I don't want to be wrong and I don't want to hurt people and I don't want to end up more fragmented. So please show me. And uh, there have been a few times in my life where God has done things that I think were undeniably God saying, you've got it wrong, think again. Um, and, you know, maybe some of you have those experiences too. So I don't think it's necessarily bad, but don't let fleecing and doing signs, you know, uh, God, if you want me to date so-and-so, let her call me right now. Oh my gosh, my phone rang, you know, like, uh, don't do that. Come on, you did that when you were, when, when you still used phones, right? Um, you did that back in the day. Um, don't let that be your only way of making a decision. I think that's a pretty immature way to make a decision. Uh, you should do those other things first, but eventually you can get to this place where you say, God, I'm giving you one more shot because I want, I want what you want for me so badly that I don't want to get this wrong. And so God, uh, here's where I'm headed. Please show me if I'm wrong. Here's what else I'll say. I also feel like God has not shown me that I'm wrong and later I've determined that I've been wrong. And I think maybe God was allowing me to go down that path so I could learn something. And so that his formation in me could continue. So uh, his purposes, his goodness was still accomplished even in that. Uh, what should we say to those who are trying to pull us back into a life of conformity? I love this question. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot over this series about um, both being truthful, that the Bible holds these two things in tension, being truthful, speaking the truth, but doing so in love. And it's not only what we say that matters, but it's how we say it. And uh, you will never, I, I never find a case in the Bible, I don't think you will either, where, where there's a call for, for Christ-following people to just speak truth and care, you know, don't care about love. And there's not a call to say just love people and don't speak truth. It, those really are held in tension. And so as people are trying to pull you back into a life of conformity, realize w- what they're probably doing is they're probably feeling a little bit judged by you, and maybe rightfully so. They're feeling condemned for their actions. Uh, misery loves company, and, and so they want to they drag you back into that. But, but really what's motivating them is that they don't, I don't think they understand God's heart for their life too. So I think the best thing you can do is, uh, is try, to, try, try to be a win, uh, winsome witness to them about a life that is nobler and higher, that doesn't look from worldly eyes to be better, but truly is a better life. And don't be arrogant, and don't be preachy. Be humble. And say, you know, this is, I'm trying to figure out life in a new way. Because I think God wants me to be whole. And I think those other ways of life, they weren't making me whole. And so I, I'm trying, I'm just trying to take hold of the wholeness that God has for me. And I don't have this figured out. But it's, it's, it's good so far. And uh, I'd encourage you to look at it. You know, you say something like that. Be winsome. Uh, inspire curiosity in them. There may come a, a point in time where if you're, you're new at this, where you need to put a little distance in that relationship. Just, uh, just so you don't get pulled back into it. But I would say that's probably only for a time. Because if they're in your life, God may want you to be a Christian friend of that person and to help them along. Because they clearly don't get it. They don't get what you're trying to do. They don't get how great life can be if you live it according to, uh, to God's desires for your life. How whole and full. Next question. Great question, by the way. I'm struggling with a big decision, and either choice could be a great opportunity. 
Does God care which way I go? Um, I, I would say he may and he may not. <laughs> you know, this may be a defining moment for you in your life or it, it may not. Don't, don't assume that God does care, but consult God and give him the chance to show that he cares. Uh, and this just humanly speaking, it's, it's worked for me so far. I, I know I've talked a lot with Steve Hauer about this. He's a little older than me. It's worked for him for longer. Um, so I, I think it's probably at least wise by human standards. Um, but but uh, just as you're doing this, um, you know, give God the chance to, to direct you or guide you. Don't, don't ever shut God out because he's got wisdom that he may want to breathe into your life. Don't shut out the counsel of others. You know, go through all those steps. And if at the end you're feeling like, man, I still have two great choices, that's where I say leap. M- make a choice. If you've done your homework and, and you think from everything you can tell that either decision is okay, m- then make a choice and trust God to be good. But here's the thing. After you make the choice, don't, don't live in regret about it. Don't kick yourself about it. Even if it turns out to be a harder choice than you thought, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you planned, Keep going, keep your head down, keep working through it, and keep waiting on God to show his kindness to you. And that kindness may not be, you know, prosperity and blessing. It may be something deeper. I, I said a couple of weeks ago that formation is, is the highest form of favor. And formation never comes easy. And so if you are favored by God, if God loves you, he will form you and he will let you go through some hard things that, that, that refine you and form you. And, uh, and, and that's, that's a high sign of love. Otherwise, God wouldn't waste his time on you. Next question. Uh, when choosing wise people, how do we know what motivates them and their direction? When choosing wise people, how do we know what motivates them and their direction? Uh, great question. You know, wise doesn't necessarily mean um, aged. It doesn't necessarily mean successful. Um, I think as you, as you look for wise people in your life, you're looking for people, as I said, uh, who seem to embody the, the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to find those that are in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control. Maybe I missed one. I don't know if I got all of them. I'm a bad counter while I talk. Um, people who exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, that's a good way to go. Um, people people who, um, who you know, right? Again, this is why community is so important, having people that you're doing life with. Because someone may look mature or wise from the outside, but you, you get up closer to their life. You know, I've noticed this with some successful people. They seem like, man, they've got it all together with, with success in business. And you get up closer and you go, your life is a mess. You are just really lucky. I'm not going to take counsel from you, right? Um, and so getting up close enough to people to know people, to see that this is not just some veneer. This is authentic, to them, this is, this is true. This is how they live. It, it bleeds into their relationships. It's, it is who they are um, in every situation um, is important. So, um, you know, before, here, here's a word of advice. Before you get to a hard decision in life and you're like, I got to find someone wise. If today you're sitting in a place where you don't have any real hard decisions, today is the day to start looking for someone wise, a mentor, uh, people in your small group, an Ironman group, a women's Bible study, get into mops where there are mentor women who are involved and start to get to know people whom you can trust to be wise and godly in their counsel. And they're not infallible. They're not. Um, but, but, they, but they can give you a sense of godly wisdom. When, and you, when you pair that with everything else, all those other steps I gave you, you, you've got something that I think will leave you pretty solid as you face any decision. How do tragedies like natural disaster shootings, etc., fit into God's plan? Great question. 
Um, by the way, there's, there's, uh, for those of you who've been following the newspaper, there's this whole hubbub within our denomination about a pastor who was a part of a vigil um, and, uh, in, in Newtown, Connecticut after the tragedy there. If you want to know more about that, if you kind of wonder like, okay, where does St. John stand on this? We, we've heard some stuff about our denomination. Uh, go to our, our website, STJSTL. Go to the front page down at the bottom. There's a, a section that says Edify blog. And Steve Hauer, our senior pastor, just wrote some stuff about it this week, so you can check that out there. But, but this question, um, you know what? The, the Bible is very clear that natural disasters are a part of the curse. They're a part of living in a sinful world. That God isn't directly responsible for them. We are. Uh, when we broke our relationship with God, our relationship with creation was broken also. We broke creation. And so now earthquakes hurricanes, massive snowstorms, floods. That, that's all a result of living in this, this world that is broken, that is not whole. God is not responsible for those things directly. Um, people who do acts of violence, you know, that, that's either the brokenness inside of all of us makes some people mentally ill. Um, it's, it's evil, the work of the evil one, getting into people's hearts, getting a foothold into their hearts. God is not to be blamed for that either. And yet, and yet, in all of these things, we have the promise from Scripture that even though God didn't cause these things, he sees them, he sees it all, but he doesn't intervene because if he intervened every time one of us made a stupid decision, he'd be intervening all the time and we'd be robots, robots and that's not what he wants for us. So God sees it, he knows it, he allows it to happen, he doesn't intervene, but what he promises to do, again, Romans 8, he promises to work good in the lives of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So, so even as, as, as evil tries to have its way, God is saying, evil, have your way. Go ahead, try it. And then he takes the effect of that action, which was, which was intended to crush us, and he uses it for good. That's what Joseph said, a man in the Old Testament, if you know his story. He said, what you intended for evil, you did this out of evil. There was nothing good about it, yet God had a plan. He, he, he redeemed it for good. I'll say this. I, I don't know if I said this already here or not. Um, but, but I just point back to this, and we'll close with this. I'll point back to this. The cross. The cross. Is that a blessing or a curse? It's kind of both, right? Uh, you know, on the cross, sinful men, uh, they were having their way. We were having our way as sinful people, right? We, we took the most pure, loving, good, noble person who had ever lived, the one who was God in human flesh, and, and he was just radiating good, never did anything wrong. And yet we, we were so offended by his goodness that we said, let's kill him, and we did. And the devil was applauding, and he was saying, yes, kill him, kill him, kill him. And he was cheering. It was the most awful act of tragedy that ever happened. God saw that it happened. He didn't stop it. Jesus asked him to, and he didn't. So God himself is not a stranger to suffering. And yet what did God do? He turned that act of pure evil. It was intended to be pure evil and he redeemed it. He made it the salvation of the world. That's power. Friends, that's the God that we serve, right? He, he can let evil take its best shot and yet he can turn the effects. If we trust him to, he can turn the effects of that evil thing and he can make it something that is redemptive and good and, by, and down the road brings wholeness. That never means that evil is good. We would never say that what, what people did to Jesus on the cross was good because it turned out okay. It was not good. It was evil at its core. Evil is still evil, and yet God has the power to take what was intended for evil and turn it into good. And that's what you need to believe in your life. 
You know, if there are decisions that you're living under today and you're saying, I made a decision with evil motives, it was, it was wrong, I am reaping the consequences, don't count God out. That may all be true and learn your lesson, but do not exclude God from stepping in and picking up the pieces of your life and still doing something redemptive that can actually be for your blessing. I've seen it a million times probably. He can do it in your life too. In fact, I want you to stand up right now as, as we're uh, closing off here. Because there are decisions that you are facing today. We got some of those uh, texted in. All of us are, are facing different decisions. If not today, then soon. And uh, I want to pray over those decisions right now. So bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you for being powerful uh, in a way that I can barely get my mind around. Uh, God, thanks for not turning me into a robot. Uh, thanks for allowing me freedom, freedom to make mistakes. And yet, God, even in my mistakes and my weakness, thank you for not abandoning me or any of the rest of us. God, thanks for, for showing enough love and ingenuity and power so that you can turn bad decisions into things that over the long run turn out to be for our good. God, thanks for favoring us by uh, forming us. God, we know that if you left us alone in life, that would be a sign of no love. If you never disciplined us, that would be a sign that we were unfavored. And yet you favor us by, by disciplining us and shaping us. And, and so God, right now, I, I just pray for all the decisions that, that, that we're, we're mulling over right now today as we've been listening to this message. And God, I pray that you'd help us you know, work through the process of trying to hear your voice and, and to see if one option is going to lead us toward wholeness more than the others. And God, give our, give our hearts some peace and, and help us come to a decision point. And, and yet, God, um, you know, after we finally make that decision, I pray that you would still be good. Whether it turns out to be a what we would term as a good decision or a bad one. God, I want to pray again today for those of us who are just groaning under the weight of bad decisions today, who are living in regret, who are just kicking ourselves every day and we can't move on with life. God, set us free from that. Let us know, God, teach us today that even though there's consequences to our actions, yes, teach us today that you are powerful enough, God, and be powerful enough to work good even out of, out of our stupidity and our bad choices and our impure motives. God, show yourself to be powerful enough to redeem what we intended with evil motives. God, turn it around to something good. God, I, I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the one who is able to shepherd us through all things. It's in his name I pray. Amen.